Thank you, Jackie. Uh, good morning. My name is Adam. Oh, no, sorry. I went back into school for assembly this week, and it was just so brilliant. You say, good morning, St. Paul's, and they, no, you, I'm not going to treat you like children, sorry. Um, it's great to be speaking to you this morning on this uh, important and exciting passage. As Dale has said, we're starting, and in fact, we started last week a new sermon series called Come As You Are. And we started last week by thinking about the fact that Jesus welcomes the children to come to him. So we had a family-led service last week. It was bonkers. It was fun. And this week, our kids are back in their groups a little different to normal, but we'll have more on that later. And it's so exciting to see so many of you here today. It's good to see some old friends back in the building for the first time uh, in over 18 months. And it's good to see some new friends here as well. Um, we're going to be looking every week in this Come As, Come As You Are series, usually at an encounter that Jesus has with someone as he's moving around, teaching, preaching, healing um, in, in his ministry. But we're going to have these two weeks, this week and next, by looking at one of the stories he told, a story that puts into context all of those meetings that he had. And we're going to be looking at the story of the lost sons. Now, um, as Jackie correctly pointed out, the NIV translation titles the story The Lost Son. But actually, this is a story about two lost sons the younger and the elder. And this week, I'm going to be looking at the younger son. I've split it into two parts. It's like, it's like the Lord of the Rings duology. No, that doesn't quite work, does it? But the sermon is two halves of one thing. Hopefully you will get something out of this morning. Hopefully you will get something out of next week. But if you're able to hear both, then please do. Um, I don't often plug books because I don't often read books. Um, But this is a book uh, called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, which I first read 10 years ago. And I've read again and again, every couple of years or so, ever since. If you have not read this book yet, then some of what I'm going to have to say this morning might be new to you. If you've already read this book, the chances are you've heard it all before. But don't switch off. I'll try and still engage you. No, if you haven't read this before, I've got five copies of this book with me today. And I'd love people to take them away and read them. We don't have enough time over this week and next week to go into this story in as much detail as Tim does in this book. And it uh, can be life-changing to read this book. So if you haven't read it before, I've got five copies. I mean, I'm dyslexic. I don't read many books. And I've read this one five times. You owe it to yourself just to read it once. You could probably get it over and done with in a couple of hours. Um, So you can take it away, read it over the next couple of weeks, bring it back, hand it over to someone else, and we can just... It can be the church. We could have a church library. Do you remember the 80s? Yes. Do you remember the 70s when we used to win tennis matches? <laughs> Sorry, that was before I was born. <laughs> um, no. So if you want a copy of the book, if you want to take it away, then please do come and see me afterwards, or I'll be th- throwing at people as, they, as you try and leave the building. 
But this story is about two lost sons. And the big idea today is just simply, are you lost or are you found? That's the question I want you to be asking yourself, to be asking before God this morning. Am I lost or am I found? I think for some of you, as soon as you hear that story, that question, sorry, you're already thinking, I feel so lost at the moment. And hopefully there's going to be something over the next couple of weeks where God is going to put that lostness into context and let you know that he is here for you, that he has come to find you. For others, you might know that you are found, that God loves you, that God has saved you and God is with you. But for many of us, our lives might well be a mixture of the two, of lostness and foundness. But are you lost or are you found? As I said, this passage puts into context all the meetings Jesus had with different people. And um, I'm just going to read you verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, um, which was way before where Jackie was asked to read from. But it puts this story into context. Because Jesus was teaching, and it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. Just imagine that for a moment. Imagine coming to church and being able to say that the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering together to meet with Jesus. Do you consider yourselves a tax collector or a sinner? Do you consider yourself a nice middle-class North Kingston type of person? Where do we fall into that? But Jesus was teaching and the tax collectors and the sinners were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told these stories. And he tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then he goes on to tell this story of two lost sons. And the younger son is clearly lost, isn't he? It begins in verse 12, where the son comes to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. My father is here this morning, and most Christmases he asks me to make him a Christmas list. Yes, I am still only eight. We can talk about that later. And I always put on it a Tesla. As yet... Okay, fair enough. But this request of this son of his father was even more outrageous, even more insulting, even more audacious. Because, of course, in order to get the share of his father's estate, the son would need his father to be dead. You get your inheritance, note, Um, When your father dies. So not only is this son saying, I want your money. But he's saying, I want your money more than I want you. 
I'd prefer it if you were dead and I could just have what's coming to me. This son was lost from his family. But he was also lost and separated from his community. Because in this culture, this father should have reacted to his son in one and and only way. And that's to chuck him out of the family, to chuck him out of the community, to send him away. But what does the father do? He defies the estate. The son is lost from his family. He's lost from his community. And then in verse 13, we find he is lost in a foreign land. He goes to a distant country. And after that, he's lost financially. He squanders all, that his, all the money that his father's given him. And then after losing that, he takes a job feeding pigs. And he's lost spiritually as well. As he takes an unclean job feeding animals. The younger son was lost. It was clear to Jesus' listeners that the younger son was lost. It was clear even to the son that he was lost. Who do you think of when you think of someone who is clearly lost. Is it somebody known to you? Is it someone in your family or a friend? Is it you? How do you know that they're lost? How do you know that you're lost? One of the things I think we need to be careful of as a church is not simply pronouncing on other people that they are lost. We need to think about the ways in which we're lost and we'll do that much more, I think, next week. But one of the other things we need to realise is like the younger son in this story, Often lost people don't need you to tell them that they're lost. Because they already know it for themselves. And this younger son clearly was lost. He knew it and he devised a plan. A plan to return to his father. A plan to be back if not where he was before, but at least back with food in his stomach and a job to work at and a community to live in. I think that's an interesting thing about this plan that the son makes. We read about it. He came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? 
And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. This lost son doesn't expect to be given back his place in the family. If anything, actually what his plan is, is for him to make restitution by his hard work. He says, make me one of your hired servants. He wants to be employed in his father's estate. He wants to earn his way back into his father's community, into his father's life into his father's family, into his father's home. He thinks the way back is to work his way back. But it's a bold plan, isn't it? Because actually, who's to say that the father will take him back at all? His father shouldn't take him back. He should ignore him or worse, turn the community against him. And how, of course, could he ever pay his father back? He squandered probably something amounting to a third of the family estate. He could never pay the father back in his own work. But with bold plan in mind, he gets up and he goes to his father. And we read this in verse 20. While the son is still a long way off, his father saw him. That always moves me because you have to realise in order for the father to see him while he was still a long way off. The father must have been looking and watching and waiting. There's this son who's turned to his dad and said, I prefer if you were dead. Give me all that you owe me and I will leave. His father would have been right to be angry, right to be hurt, right to be upset, right to wash his hands of this son. And he may well have been many of those things, but in his hurt, in his pain, he watches and he waits. He hopes and he longs to see that sun coming home again over the horizon far away. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. His heart broke for his son. He must have left this cocky young man with fine clothes probably with animals and goods, with gold in his bag. But as he came over that hill, his father was filled with compassion. 
as he saw his loved son in the condition that he'd become. With no money, probably no decent clothes, probably slumped over, not sure how he would be received. And the father ran to the son. I don't know, there's quite a few runners in the room and some of them might even run to their sons. But that wasn't a normal thing in this culture. It wasn't a normal thing to the, for the people who Jesus was speaking to, the ones who were listening to that day. In order to run, the father would have been wearing a big head-of-the-household outfit. He'd have had to, I love this phrase, girded his loins. We don't gird our loins enough these days, do we? Don't worry, it's not rude. Um, he'd have had to hoik up his clothing. Bear his naked legs. I mean, Dale is leading this morning in shorts. Thank you, Dale. <laughs> Always a pleasure, never assure. As a visual aid, uh, Dale is leading this morning in shorts. But the father would have had to hoik his clothes up, bare his legs, and run. Run like a woman or a child. It's not what I think. But that would have been the type of people who you might have expected to run, not the head of the household, not the patriarch, not the great big landowner. But that's what this father does, humiliated by his son in the request for his money, humiliated by his son as he left home. Humiliated by the son who returned expecting to be allowed back, he then humiliates himself because of his love and compassion for his son. We're an equal opportunities church. Anyone is welcome to run or not run. It's perfectly fine. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Then the son begins his big speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And midway through the speech, the father interrupts him. Before he's able to say, Dad, it's okay. I've got a plan. I'm going to earn my way back. I'm going to earn enough money to pay you back everything I took from you. You can let me back into the house. Before he's able to say that, the father interrupts him. He reinstates him into the family. He calls for the best robe his own robes and he puts them 
on his son. He calls for the best ring, his own rings, and he has them put on his son. Of course, he could never have paid his way back. But the father didn't just want him to come back and be a hired worker. He wanted him to come back and know that he is still a son and he is still loved. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine that was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In telling these stories, introduced by the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and the sinners who came to listen to him. Jesus is saying there are two kinds of people. There are those who are lost and those who have been found by God. If you know that you are lost, if you're feeling lost today, then come home to the Father. You can't be any more lost than this son was. Come home and you will be welcomed and you will be loved and you will be celebrated by your Father in heaven who is looking and longing and waiting for you to turn back to him. And if you're thinking, what must I do? Then you need to know there's nothing you can do. There's no way you can pay him back. There's no way you can give him what you owe. But there's no need to. Because, as we'll find out next week, he has paid everything for you. Your job is just to come. I used to go to church as a kid. Um, I was a pain in the neck. My mum's nodding. Um, And when I was a teenager, I stopped going to church. And whilst at university, I decided, met some friends, they invited me to church, I decided to go. And when I became, came back to church, realised that God wanted to welcome me home, I used to love the younger son in this story because it spoke directly into my life. 
I hadn't fed any pigs. I hadn't ended up naked often. At least I don't think there are any pictures. But it used to always move me. And I, would, I, I joined churches and I was there with people who, I don't know, would go, how amazing is this story? And they would say, mm, I kind of think the older son's right. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I thought they were mad. But I've been a Christian now. I've been back in church for 20 years. And I've begun to realize that although there's still some of the younger son in me, there's some of the older son too. And I'm kind of treading on Ellie's toes, but she's not here, so she won't know. But just as the vicar of St. Paul's, before we move on to hear about the older son next week, what I want to say to you guys if you're here and you've been here for many years and you're a regular here, if you call yourself a member of St. Paul's, if God brings some younger sons through that door, or daughters, same difference, how are we going to react to them? What are we going to do? Because actually there's a little bit of the younger son in all of us. My laptop's just gone into screen save again. There we go. Good work, John. I went to a talk recently. I'm going to stop soon. But I went to a talk recently and a chap there was saying how important it was to welcome the prodigal's home. And he said, by a throwaway comment, and if God brings prodigals into your church, you better pray they meet the father before they meet the older son. If you're feeling lost today, God's invitation to you is come home. You're welcome. I love you. If you are feeling a bit like the older son, I don't want you to feel condemned this morning. I think there's a bit of that in all of us too, especially if we've been in church for a few years. But I would encourage you to come again next week and hear the other half of the story. And if you'd like to uh, take away one of these books and read a lot more than we can say in two sermons on it, then please do. But I'm going to hand back to Dale now. Thanks.